Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Beautiful Behavior Podcast. I am your host, Diane Sorensen, certified life coach, hypnotherapy practitioner, mother, grandmother, and human fascinated with behavior and how to live our best life. My goal is to offer you another perspective, to see behavior in ourselves, our children, and others from another angle. This podcast is for anyone who wants to feel more connected in their relationships. It's for anyone who feels the pull for something more. It's for parents and those who are not. This podcast is for anyone who wants to take a deeper look because this is where we talk about breaking generational patterns and outdated cultural beliefs, cultivating deeper connections in our life, and leading our life with more confidence and clarity. And I believe that's when beautiful behavior comes into focus. You can learn more about my process, me, and the three different ways in which beautiful behavior could come into focus for you at my website at diannesorensen.net. That's D-I-A-N-E-S-O-R-E-N-S-E-N.net. Okay, listeners, let's go. All right. Hello, everybody. Welcome to a new week and a new episode. And today I have a guest here. So I'm really excited about that. Leah Horton is with us. And Leah is a certified intuitive eating counselor and master health and life coach, specializing in helping women get off the diet roller coaster for good. Using the principles of intuitive eating, she empowers women to find their food freedom, love their bodies, and redefine what health means to them. Welcome, Leah. Thank you so much for having me, Diane. Yeah, thank thank you for taking time to be here. I just, you know, it gives me goosebumps when I read your bio because I just, I think this conversation is so, is going to be so powerful and so important in our culture. I talked to so many women, including myself, who have this um, not so great relationship with their body, right? Is there anything right off the top here, Leah, that you want listeners to know that I didn't have, you know, it, maybe I didn't say it in the bio, anything that comes to mind? No, I mean, I think, you know, it's just, I am the average American woman, especially, you know, most of us have struggled with body image and food issues, and we're all just a product of the environment that we live in. And I have figured out a way to kind of break free of that and really become um, at peace with my relationship with food and my body. And I'm just so excited that I get to be able to work with people and help people start shifting that for themselves as well. Yeah. And so maybe start there. I kind of like to ask people, how did you get here? Mm -hmm. What is your story that brought you here, if you don't mind sharing that? Yeah, of course. Um, So like I said, I'm I'm pretty average, I think, in that I am um, somebody that grew up in a household with a mother who was dieting and focused on her weight. Um, Our situation was a little bit unique in that she was in the military. 
And so it was literally job security for her to be at a certain weight. Um, you know, if you have to hit the certain like height weight chart and pass physical fitness tests and do all of that. So it was her livelihood at risk. Um, and so I, you know, child of kind of like the nineties, mostly of the low fat, no fat, fat free. I can't believe it's not butter. You know, all of that was in our house and, um, that messaging just kind of got into my subconscious where I started to, uh, nitpick my body and be like, Oh, my body's similar to hers, a lot taller, which helps, but we're very, um, uh, sturdy <laughs> women were, were dense. And I have never been somebody that has been on the small side. I'm what's uh, considered a midsize um, body, which is actually the typical for um, women in the U.S. And uh, as soon as I kind of started to um, get to where I was noticing people making comments or like my friends and school would talk about their bodies and like all of this kind of like catches up with you. I felt like my body was wrong. Like there was always something wrong with my body and something that I needed to be changing, you know, even just little moments of like, I was, I played soccer. And so I was like one of the few kids that had to ask for like the large shorts instead of the medium shorts and was really, really self-conscious. And once I got to college, this really manifested itself into, uh, what's called disordered eating where we hyper fixate on food, we're restricting. Um, I was very, my relationship with food was very much connected to wanting to change the way that my body looked. And to add kind of another layer of complexity to this, my medical professionals, the doctors that I was working with, um, had also encouraged weight loss purely based on the fact that I was in the overweight category on the BMI chart. No health reasons, right? I, my blood panels were perfect. Everything was fine. I was active, you know, everything looked great. And yet they were still encouraging weight loss simply because of where I was on the height weight chart. And so again, that kind of just perpetuated this idea that I'm wrong. And, and now it made this connection to I'm unhealthy, even though by all accounts, I wasn't actually unhealthy, but my doctors are telling me to lose weight. So like, there's this, it starts to create this really big uh, internal battle. And, um, basically I started viewing my body as the enemy and something that constantly needed fixing. Um, you know, and this is kind of just a slow evolution. I went down the rabbit hole of, um, trying all of the diets, doing all of the things, um, calorie counting was my, my diet of choice because I loved that. It was like, Oh, it's just math, right? Calories in calories out. You have a deficit. The scale is going to do this. And it seemed perfect. Like, okay, I can do that. I'm, I'm smart. I can figure this out. And yet it never worked out the way that it was supposed to. And so I would just keep eating less and exercising more and trying to create a bigger deficit. And it got to the point where eventually I would snap and just go on a, a binge, right. And just say, screw it. That very much all or nothing type of uh, reaction. And I would go months without, you know, paying any attention to nutrition or wellness at all, because I just reached to this breaking point. And then I'd get to this place where, oh, now I feel like fat and gross and like, you know, all of these stories that we're telling ourselves. And 
we repeat the cycle over and over. And um, then I would go back to restriction and all of this. I even got I'm, to- I'm sitting over here like nodding yes. my head through this whole story. <laughs> so I know, you know, listeners out there are going to be able to mm-hmm. connect with this. I think, mm-hmm. you know, we can hear us in what you're saying. Yeah. And that's what my story is not a unique one. You know, 80% of women are dissatisfied with their bodies and, uh, you know, most dieters do end up kind of going down the path of disordered eating and having this cyclical effect. And, um, I got to where I was actually like creating harm for my body. I was physically injured all the time because of how much I was exercising and, um, not eating enough for my body. And so it actually started to the pursuit of weight loss actually started to have a negative impact on my health, both physically and mentally. I mean, the amount of brain space that was occupied by food, you know, even think about, Oh, going out, to dinner with my husband. Um, I had to look at the menu ahead of time, figure it out, map out what's going to be the best choice. Not what sounds good, but like what's going to be like the, what I can get away with and maybe under eating throughout the day to try and make up, you know, room for this bigger meal. Everything in our day evolves around food. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And I just, it, it, it was so heavy and such a burden. And I, hardly thought about anything else. I mean, it was, it was work and it was food. And I even ended up starting a food blog um, during this period. And I really do think it was just like an outlet for my food obsession and all of these thoughts that I had around food all the time. And little did I know that those thoughts were really just a result from the physical and mental restriction I had around food. And I stumbled into this concept of health at every size, um, which, and, and it, I was reading, I'm a nerd. I, I got my undergrad in biology. And so I'm like a big science nerd. And so I'm reading all of these scientific studies that are validating my experience that, yeah, the first time you lose weight, it's pretty easy because your body doesn't know like what's happening, but then it builds a resistance to it. And every time it gets harder and harder and you have to do more and more extreme things. And every time you have significant weight loss and it yo-yos back up, you're increasing your body's natural set point. And all of this was just like, oh, I'm not crazy. Like there's nothing, I'm not doing this wrong. There's not something wrong with me. I've just been taught incorrectly that weight is something that you can manage through diet and exercise alone. Yeah. And and I just wanted to say that I did everything that you are saying. Now, my story is a little bit different. I came into it in a little bit different way. But from there, entering into this disordered eating and obsessive food thoughts and everything you're describing is like, oh, you know, yes, yes, yes. I've experienced all of that. And I think so, so many people are experiencing that. What did you say? 80%? Yeah. 80% of women are dissatisfied with their body in some way. Now, some of them won't take action on that, but many of us do, um, to some degree. And obviously, you know, we have very extreme cases where that will lead to, you know, eating disorders, you know, that are diagnosable. 
um, eating disorders. And part of me even wonders if like at some point I could have been diagnosed if I had the right practitioner looking at my, my food habits. But again, I was like, this is encouraged behavior. You know, I had doctors saying, well, you could try this and you could try that. And, you know, it wouldn't hurt to do this. And, you know, there actually was harm in that there was, it was hurtful for my body to do the things that they were encouraging me to do, um, simply based off of this chart that was created like in the 1800s by a mathematician and (laughs) uses only white men as the the standard and I had no idea about that so like learning that the BMI chart was you know not an accurate measure of health just like blew my mind I'm like what have I been doing all this time (laughs) it's literally like the impetus of all of this was this one simple little chart and it's bogus (laughs) yeah Well, and I even had, I remember when I was teaching an early childhood program, um, we had a nutritionist for the program who did go through that BMI thing. And if the children's BMI was high, you know, they got letters sent home, they had, you know, all of this stuff. And it was really quite shaming, actually, you know, it was upsetting for parents, you know, and these children were young, like, three to five-year-olds and we're already you know looking at that chart going oh something needs to change here so anyway that just when you said that bmi chart i'm like oh i remember that whole thing there was a big thing around that so anyway um yeah and i think you know culture is so um the messages are about we tend to take it and internalize it and we end up under eating and over exercising, completely stressing our body. And, you know, for me too, I always thought, well, working out, it had to look a certain way, right? It had to be at least an hour and you had to be like, well, I remember the gym I was at, the slogan was no pain, you know, the things you'd read there, no pain, no gain, you know, all of that stuff. And yeah, I've come to learn that I just stressed my body so much. It wasn't, you know, necessarily for my health. I wasn't really doing it for my health. I was doing it for the image or that's what I thought I should do or was supposed to do. Um, And so you talk about food freedom. Tell me about that because that sounds lovely. Doesn't it? (laughs) We all want to know what is food freedom. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so when we're looking at food freedom, what that really means is, you know, breaking away from that kind of a food obsessive thoughts and morality being associated with food, that there are no good and bad foods, that you shouldn't feel guilt or shame or anxiety or any of those kind of negative feelings when it comes to food. Food is just food, right? And it's a neutral object. It's, it's, we're the ones that are assigning meaning to it. And yes, there are some foods that are more nourishing for our bodies and some that are more nourishing for our souls. Um, but when you have a healthy relationship with food, all foods fits. And, you know, the, so the, what I teach people is called intuitive eating and we're all kind of born to be intuitive eaters, right? You know, when you're hungry, you know, when you're not, you, you know, know what foods you like and what foods you don't like. And that's kind of it. And then society gets its grubby little hands on us. And even like well-meaning parents, you know, they, they, 
they're like, oh, you can't leave the table until you eat your vegetables, whatever, right? It's all in good faith. However, those kinds of things teach us not to trust our body um, or to eat things that we don't enjoy. Um, even, you know, a lot of the times like, oh, you can't get dessert until you've eaten all your food. And so now it's putting desserts and stuff up on this pedestal and creates a reward relationship with food instead of food, just being food. And so when you're somebody that really has what we call food freedom, you don't have any of that association. Food just gets to be food. It can be joy and it can be nourishment. It can be connection and memories and all of the fun things that food does for us. It's not just fuel, right? That's part of it, but I, so much can I go back to just one thing you just said about putting certain foods on a pedestal. Mm -hmm. So like, yeah, you can't have that until you have this. So it's almost like, this is the crappy stuff. This is the real, you know, this is the gold mm -hmm. star. So then when we get to be the ones to control what we're going to eat, because, you know, children don't have control about even what they put in their bodies, then that's the, what, what we go to right away. Right. Because I know even with myself, I just created, I mean, there was a lot of anger and resentment around, oh, these are the foods you're supposed to eat, you know? So I'd be like, well, I'm not going to eat it. If you tell me what I'm supposed to eat, I'm going to eat the exact opposite. Exactly. <laughs> and that's right? what happens. I, I joke that we all basically have like an uncontrollable toddler running around our head at all right. times. Yeah. And as soon as you say, no, you're not allowed to have that. Your brain is like, okay, that's all I want. Like, have you ever started like a low carb diet or something? And then all of a sudden you're like daydreaming about pizza and burgers and pasta, right? It's because your brain is really smart. And like, if, if it perceives that there's any level of like restriction or a deficit, or like, that's maybe something we're not allowed to have, it's going to kick up those cravings and food thoughts is one of the ways that it does that it doesn't want to be deprived, right? Because your body has a need for everything. There, there's always something in the food that you're eating that it's doing for your body. There's always a positive intention into it. And so if you're saying, okay, the, the cake or the brownies or the whatever is like only for special occasions, one of the things that may happen is when that special occasion comes, now you're gonna binge it because, oh, I can only get it once, a year or once, you know, every six months, like this is a, I, I got to get it in while I can. And you end up way overeating it to the point where you make yourself sick or something. And then now you've created this narrative in your head that, oh, I can't control myself around that food. Right. And then it becomes this self-fulfilling prophecy <laughs> of like, you, you restrict it. You don't let it in the house. You don't allow yourself to have it except at these certain times. And then you repeat that cycle where now you, again, like can't control yourself around that food. And, um, it just, yeah, it's the cycle that goes over and over and over unless something changes. And the way that you start shifting that is by really giving yourself unconditional permission to have anything, anytime you want it. That doesn't mean you're always going to want it, <laughs> but having that permission there and like really embodying this idea of permission takes that food that we've put on this pedestal and normalizes it. And it puts it down with, you know, the brownies now down with the kale and the, the potatoes and the, the chicken or whatever. Right. 
And so all of a sudden it's allure is gone and you're like, okay, like, yeah, I'll have the brownie when I'm in the mood and when it sounds good. And if it's like my favorite kind of brownie, cool. And then I'll move on instead of it being this big mental battle. And then you're, you know, you have the anxiety and the guilt and the shame and all of the stuff that comes with it. Yeah, and, and so I that's what freedom really is, is getting to that place where a brownie is just a brownie <laughs> and you can eat it when you want it and you don't have to, if you don't want it. <laughs> and I think I, you know, we live in such a culture of all or nothing as well. You know, like I'm either going to restrict everything or I'm going to eat everything. And, you know, it's this all, you know, and I've experienced, experienced that myself where it's all or nothing. How do you help people overcome this all or nothing? Mm -hmm. Well, and part of it is recognizing what's the cost of having that type of mindset, right? And, and what's the benefit of it, right? So everything that you're doing, there's something to it. There's all controlling. Yeah. There's control. Yeah. You're in control. You're, um, trying to be quote unquote good because that's like, you know, what society has told us is good or you're trying to be healthy, right? Like because that's what we've been taught that health is. And so we can acknowledge what that is doing for us. And is that really helpful? Is that really accomplishing the goal? And so for me with the diet cycle, was that actually healthy, even though I thought I was trying to be healthy? No, it wasn't. And I can like take a step back and look at that of like, wow, those behaviors definitely aren't healthy. My body was definitely, um, you know, having a fit about it and giving me all sorts of signs that this was not something that worked for me. And once you kind of can have that awareness, it's like, okay, now we get to decide what does work for us. And so if the all or nothing doesn't work, what's the other option? Well, the other option I think is this unconditional permission. Where so I can... like that, but yeah, that awareness piece, that is really big. Mm -hmm. So yeah, what does it feel like when I'm doing the, you know, restricting everything, the nothing, like not mm -hmm. allowing myself anything. And then all the way to the other side with binging, mm -hmm. um, you know, and how does that feel? So I think the awareness of even, so being in our bodies, like what does it feel like to be in our bodies, right? Yeah. Well, and we're so disconnected from that. Right. We, we're, right. we're so outside of ourselves. And so, you know, that's what becoming an intuitive eater is really about shutting out the outside rules and the noise and what you should and shouldn't be doing and learning to connect to your body, to learn to rebuild trust in your own hunger and fullness cues, right? We don't pay attention to those things. It's like, and even if you think about like kids, you know, it's like you got breakfast time, you have lunch time is on the scheduled time, dinner time, no snacks in between, or maybe you're allowed a snack time. Um, you're done when your plate is clean, where we have been conditioned to rely a lot on, a lot on external cues for hunger and fullness versus what our body is telling us. So you got to learn to listen to your body and your body tells you what foods it likes. 
what foods it makes it feel good and which ones it doesn't. It tells you in a bunch of different ways through digestion and energy levels. And, you know, maybe some foods make you break out or make you bloated, like, and your body's telling you these things, but you have to listen and you have to kind of know what to look for. And in order to do that, you have to slow down and really pay attention to what's happening and look at feeding yourself as like an act of self-care and we need to like spend this time taking care of our body and getting curious about what this is doing for us instead of operating in autopilot um, and just, you know, shoveling in whatever food's available and moving on with our days. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I love how as we're talking here and you're talking about different things, I'm like, oh yeah. And that's what I talk about oftentimes with parents and regulating our emotional um, part of us, right? Our self-regulation and help helping our children self-regulate is that um, not seeing so much of their behavior as good or bad, but as, you know, it's either helpful everything's going well, or it's hurtful and they need some help. Um, And then like the slowing down, the awareness, the awareness of our body, um, you know, knowing what it feels like in our body. What does our body feel like when we're hungry? What does it feel like when we're full? We don't take those cues. Yes, I love that. And then slowing down so we can feel what's going on and we can listen. So we're often talking about our children not listening. Don't ever listen. (laughs) But, you know, if we turn that light towards us and say, are we really listening? Are we listening to ourselves? What's going on with us and our stress and in our body? So I love all of this, Leah. Thank you. Um, Yeah. And so the embodiment and how we yeah, just get so disconnected with that. And we don't know that, right? Because that's really all we remember is not being connected with our body. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, this the dieting and restriction and all of that is um, commonplace. It's the society that we live in. It's the culture we live in. And we're also in like a hustle culture where it's go, go, go. And like, you've got to be just like, on the move all the time. People are, you know, multitasking while they're eating and doing all of this. And we really need to get to the point of recognizing that that's not really working for us any longer. And it's, I think we're getting there. I'm starting to notice some little shifts in things and people starting to kind of take more of an inward focus and making sure that they're, you know, taking care of their bodies and themselves more. So I have a lot of hope for our younger (laughs) generations um, right now, but, um, you know, I think even with kids starting to encourage them of like, you know, asking them, you know, what does hunger feel like and what does fullness feel like? And like, how do, how does this food make your body feel, you know, and letting kids have the moment where they maybe overeat the candy or whatever, instead of you trying to control it, let them have that experience and then just get curious with them of like, okay, what is your body telling you? You know, how does, how's your head feel? How's your energy? And like getting them to start connecting the dots that food can impact 
your body and let them come to their own conclusions. And, you know, you can guide them, of course, and be like, okay, you know, what might you want to do differently? Or maybe like one piece of candy is okay, but five is too much and help them realize that on their own. And that's going to be the thing that helps them build trust in themselves. That's going to help them be able to shut out that noise that we're constantly being told, you know, what's good and bad and to ignore our own physical body and really, yeah, just help encourage them to, to connect with themselves more. That's so, so important. Um, because I think it, a lot of it too, is about self-acceptance and self-compassion, right? Because I, I, in my whole life, like, I don't ever remember not trying to make my body to be different, (laughs) you know, um, just not ever being happy with the way it was. Um, Yeah. And so when we can start implementing that self-acceptance and accepting our body, how it is, instead of some image that culture tells us, here's the, here's the way. Because I, I think you, you, at the very beginning you said something that really stuck out to me that you felt your body was wrong. That's a really powerful statement. Yeah. Well, and you think about the images that we're receiving as um, kids and young adults, we're getting primarily images from a very narrow body type. You know, we're typically seeing thin tall, white women, you know, you even think about like Disney princesses and Barbie, you know, they all have very much like an hourglass figure and, um, a very kind of a very typical look. And I like, I also grew up like Victoria's Secret models was kind of like the thing. My mom always got Victoria's Secret catalogs. And so I was always looking at those. And so that's what your, your young developing brain connects as good and right and appealing, right? Because like women in the magazine and the Disney princesses getting the guy, like this is what our society values. And so getting that validation, right? That mm-hmm. outside acceptance. We do it yes. for acceptance, that outside acceptance and that that need to be right. We have mm-hmm. this need to be right because if we're not right, we feel like our whole being is mm-hmm. wrong. Like, well, like and- And there's nothing wrong with that. That's just your human instinct. We're a community-driven species and it's a survival mechanism. You want to fit in. You want to like be one with the crowd. You want to, you don't want to be an outsider. If you're an outsider, there's a threat. You know, if you think about uh, like a a herd of, I don't know, antelope in a field um, and they all are mostly the same, you know, same physical fitness and look the same. And then you've got a couple, you know, maybe one that's old, maybe one that has an injured leg, one that's like a little bit out of shape, whatever. If a lion comes and attacks them, which ones are at risk? It's the outsiders. And so our hardwiring is the same. It's exactly the same. And so this is where it's really important. This is like part of just accessing that compassion piece of realizing that everything that your brain is doing for you has a good intention, right? So that comparison that we're doing, the trying to fit in, there's a positive intention in that. And we want to acknowledge that. Right. It serves us to some capacity when we're young. Right. Yes. Yes. And 
we want to start questioning of that. Is that true? Like, is it true that I don't fit in? Is it true that I'm unsafe? Is it true that I won't attract a mate? Like, you know, and and start to get our prefrontal cortex a little bit more involved in the conversation instead of operating just on that basic survival skill. Even though if that served us at one point, is it serving us now? Mm-hmm. Or is it, you know, sabotaging us? So yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah. The reality is, is that body diversity exists, you know, no matter what you do, if everybody ate the same, or everybody moved their body the same, you're still going to have everybody looks different and there's nothing wrong with that. Some people will always exist in larger bodies. Some people will always be in smaller bodies and some people will always be somewhere in the middle and your body may change over time as you age, like, and that's all normal. And so what I usually encourage people to do is to start counteracting that primary image that we get, that's really only like 5% of the population can achieve that, you know, the, the supermodel or the Disney princess status, but make a really concerted effort to have images of diversity to, you know, if you're on Instagram, like follow people that look different than you get as much diversity as you can in what you're seeing day to day. And that's going to make you have more self-acceptance for yourself because there's going to be somebody you can identify with. Be like, Oh, that woman kind of looks like me. And she's out there living her, her life fully and having a blast and happily, you know, married or traveling the world or whatever your goal is. And that gives your brain that little bit of like permission of like, okay, you know, somebody else is doing it. I can do that too. I can be happy with the body I have. I can be active with the body I have. I can be healthy with the body I have, even if it doesn't look the way I think it should look. And that's a really fun, like, gateway to exploring, like defining what health means for you and defining what you want your life to look like, regardless of what your body looks like. Right. And take out that should, right. That should is not reality. That is some kind of image. Um, yeah, because, you know, we always get this idea that there's one right way to do everything. You know, one right way to raise your kids, one right way to look one right body image. And you know, I say it's your way. There's no right way. There's a multitude of ways and there's your way. So, yeah. Um, so is there any last things here you would really like the listeners to take away from this conversation today, Leah? Mm. Um, well, you know, I think uh, just to echo what you just said, if like there is no right or wrong way, um, it really is about finding the answer of what works for you. And when we're looking for diets and all of that, we're looking for that outside source to tell us what to do. And there is no one size fits all approach. And so um, just start questioning everything and really going on a path of just self-discovery of what's important to you, connecting with your personal values, not society's values, and figuring out what health and what living in a quote-unquote good body means for you without the lens of what society thinks that you should <laughs> be, what should be existing in or um, should be pursuing for health. And I think it's really important to get support because I think this relationship with our bodies 
goes so deep that it's really difficult to do it on our own, right? So Leah, where can people find you and connect with you? Yes. So uh, the place that I shop the most is I do have a free Facebook group. Um, so it's the Anti-Diet Health Club. And you can literally just put in antidiethealthclub.com and it'll get you there. Um, I'm also on Instagram and TikTok, the Anti-Diet Health Coach. No, the, it's just Anti-Diet Health Coach. <laughs> um, and yeah, all over social media. Um, and I do have a number of free resources in the Facebook group. I go live every week with a training. Um, so literally hundreds of resources to help anybody, no matter where they are on this journey, if they're just like a little bit curious and not full in, or if they're in and want to know like the nuts and bolts of like how to become an intuitive eater and embody like self-acceptance and all of that. I've got stuff for everybody across the board. <laughs> and we will put all of your links, of course, in the show notes so people can um, connect with you. And I just want to say that, um, so I was, you know, digging around your website and all that in preparation of today's um, conversation. And the first thing I saw, I just loved. It said, time to break up with diet culture and find yourself a new soulmate, which dot, dot, dot is yourself. I just, I mean, right away, I'm just like, oh, I love this. So <laughs> thank you for the work you are doing in the world, Leah. And thank you for coming and making the time to come and talk with um, me and our listeners today. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. All right. All right, everybody. Have a beautiful week and we'll see you here next week. Thank you for tuning into the Beautiful Behavior Podcast. If you enjoyed today's show or previous shows, I would so appreciate you subscribing and leaving a review. I am so grateful for all of you listeners who are joining me here for these conversations because I believe it's through these type of conversations that we start to shift the paradigm, creating a more loving and compassionate world. I hope you will join me here each week as we discover new ways to show up in our lives and create a bigger impact. And if you are ready to take this to the next level, head on over to my website at diansorensen.net. Again, that's D-I-A-N-E-S-O-R-E-N-S-E-N.net. Get on my calendar and see how you can be supported and if we're a good fit so that you can get out of survival and into thrival. Change is possible and I've got you. <laughs>